I'm Larissa, and I want to help you find the best strategy for communicating the magic and wonder of your jewelry brand so you can thrive by doing what you love and filling the world with beauty and creativity. Welcome to the Joy Joya Jewelry Marketing Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and innovators so they can thrive by doing what they love. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. This is episode 85, and today I'll be sharing my interview with Sneh Parmar, the CEO and co-founder of Lucky Labs. Unlike most guests on this podcast, Sneh is not part of the jewelry industry. However, the Lucky Moments platform that Sneh has developed through his company could potentially help omni-channel jewelry brands, especially if they want to more effectively connect digital and physical shopping experiences for customers. On one hand, direct-to-consumer jewelry brands can use the Lucky Moments platform to deepen customer relationships thanks to the specific data and insights they get. On the other hand, jewelry brands with retail distribution can use the Lucky Moments platform to encourage customers to buy the product online, in the moment, or at the closest brick and mortar retailers. The Lucky Moments platform engages the shopper, personalizes the online shopping experience, provides the shopper with a relevant reward or incentive, and then retargets the shopper with relevant content. All this can be achieved thanks to a simple API that's added to the backend of your e-commerce store. In this episode, we chat mostly about the next generation of e-commerce and how solutions like the Lucky Moments API is helping up-and-coming e-commerce brands connect with their customers in exciting new ways. We cover questions like, how would you describe an ideal omni-channel brand experience? Why do you feel that personalization in both marketing and customer experience is so important? What are some tips you can offer e-commerce retailers who want to have greater control over the customer experience? And more. Before we get to the interview, I wanted to share some marketing-related news and research from the past week that caught my attention. Big brands like North Face, Patagonia, and REI are starting to take an active stance on Facebook advertising by refusing to advertise on the social media platform throughout the month of July. The hashtag Stop Hate for Profit campaign, which you can learn more about by visiting stophateforprofit.org, aims to get Facebook to improve its advertising policies so that hateful advertising content is removed. According to the recommendations on the website, the people behind the campaign want Facebook to quote, create internal mechanisms for every media format on every Facebook platform that automatically remove all ads from content labeled as misinformation or hate, end quote, among other things. It will definitely be interesting to see how Facebook responds to this boycott. Next, Facebook recently announced that advertisers would actually be able to promote Instagram posts without linking to a Facebook account. However, businesses that have advertised on on Instagram in the past won't have this option to disconnect an account from Facebook. Writers from social media today believe this change is happening in light of the previous news I just shared. With so many people boycotting Facebook ads in July, Facebook doesn't necessarily want to discourage businesses to advertise on Instagram. I haven't really taken a look at this new feature yet, but in general, I do advise against simply promoting your Instagram posts since you have less control over your ad and demographics when you set up the campaign through Instagram rather than Facebook Business Manager. I'll be curious to see how many advertisers take advantage of this new feature. A new article from Rappaport highlighted the fact that teens, otherwise known as members of Gen Z, are looking for jewelry that can help them celebrate and mark milestones, especially since many of these milestones, like proms and graduations, have been canceled due to COVID-19. According to the article, quote, jewelry, one of the most compelling markers of human experience throughout history, should be out front on this, end quote. 
Do you make any jewelry products that can potentially appeal to Gen Zers? If so, you can start thinking outside of the box about how to reach this customer segment, especially during these strange times. For example, you can try pursuing brand partnerships with brands that already cater to this population, or even hosting or sponsoring a virtual event that brings this community together. All right, let's jump right into my interview with Snay. So tell me a little bit about your background and how you first got the idea to start Lucky Labs. Yeah, um, thanks Melissa for having me. Um, I would say, so I really grew up in the Southeast a lot. Um, I was always interested in like uh, technology, I would say. Um, I didn't really become familiarized with it until I went to Georgia Tech. Um, while I was there, I started studying computer science and marketing. And I really uh, enjoyed working with brands. I thought it was really cool about like, how people look at brands, how people can feel so um, loyal to a specific brand, even if it's like not their own brand or just by hearing the story. And like, I thought that was really interesting. So I always knew I wanted to work with brands growing up. Um, I, while, after I graduated college, I worked with a couple of different um, accelerators, like VC firms, uh, uh, Corp, uh, Fortune 500 Innovation Labs, really learning about like different aspects of building a company. Um, at the same time, I worked with a think tank type marketing agency, um, working on like consumer purchasing behavior. Um, that's really where my uh, expertise is in, um, like why people buy and how they buy. And while I was doing that, I had the idea for the company Lucky Labs, um, where now what we do is we basically help personalize the shopping experience for brands. Um, so their consumers are more likely to buy their products in real time. And that can be from like any omni-channel purpose, uh, whether it's like online, uh, physical, social, wholesale, wherever it may be, we just make it the entire process seamless into like one experience. Very cool. Um, so how long ago was this that you had the idea to launch? Yeah, so we launched, um, so we've been working on this for a few years now, I'd say probably like three or four years, but officially I think we really like uh, started focusing full-time everything on it about a year ago. Um, I think like about a month ago, I think in May, it was like our first one year anniversary. So it's great. To oh, see congratulations. You. Thank you. Can you give like a, a summary of how the platform works and like what a customer sees or goes through when they encounter it on a website? Yeah, hundred percent. So we, um, so a consumer really doesn't know about us, which is really cool. Cause like we keep like how people buy the exact way it is. Like people like the way they purchase certain things right now and we don't want to mess with that. So we work on the back end. So we work with brands directly uh, on their websites or digital touch points. So whenever a consumer goes to a brand's website to buy a certain product, our experience gathers first party data about what a consumer is interested in, what their intent is. And then with that information, you can personalize the messaging and rewards and offers that you show that consumer in real time. Um, what's really interesting and valuable is we partner with brands and retailers because uh, the retailers have so many brands they sell in their stores um, that consumers are more likely to go buy that brand's product if they know they can go in like right in the moment and do so. Or the fact that like, hey, if you buy this brand's product online, you can actually just get it delivered from the closest location where the product is. And that's really kind of where the genesis idea came from. It's like a consumer should only be uh, there to buy your product. A brand should only care uh, that consumer buys their product. They shouldn't care about like the logistics, about like where the product's coming from. All they want is that consumer to be loyal to them and buying their product. So we make it very simple for a consumer to buy. And from a brand's perspective, we make it very easy for them to deliver the best experience, whether it's through messaging or um, getting the product into the hand of a consumer from the closest location through which it is. And what does it actually look like? Like say I'm a consumer and I'm encountering lucky moments on a website. And again, I don't necessarily know it's you lucky moments, but from a consumer experience perspective, what am I seeing like on the site? Yeah. So you would basically, it's interesting. You just see like a quick little uh, question on the side of like a web page, whether it's like a product page or homepage asking you a little bit of information about like why you're interested in this brand or this specific product, for example, you would click on that specific insight, then you would get the reward right then and there. Um, and tell them like, hey, use this at checkout. Or hey, like when you go buy a product, you could select where you want that product to come from. Um, whether it's like you wanna wait seven days to come from the warehouse, or you can get it now from like the nearest store near you. So it's very, very simple. It's like you just, as a consumer, you just interact with it like one time and that's it. And then all the information is being collected, but also it's valuable to the consumer. So that's why they're willing to like actually engage with our experience. Uh-huh. What's an example of like a reward that I might get from a brand? 
Yeah. So um, right now we're actually, the brands we've worked out with are like a lot of DC e-com brands, but then also a lot of omni-channel brands. And that's really where our sweet spot is. Um, some of the rewards and offers that brands are offering through our experience, just like the standard, you'd say like 15% off or like 20% off, like your first purchase or whatever it may be. Um, and really what we found is like, it's really not the actual amount of the offer that uh, incentivizes the consumer. It's really about like how it's given to the consumer. Um, a lot of brands right now, they just showcase like, Hey, enter your email, 15% off consumers have like basically gotten tired of that. Like they know every brand offers that. So they just hit the X button really quickly. The way we do it, we kind of flip it uh, on its head where it's like now the consumer engages with something. It's a quick little like gamified question. It's like, they're like already interested. They're like, oh, okay, cool. Like the brands actually wants to learn about myself and my personal like taste. So consumer would respond. And now since they're already engaged, they're much more likely to give you that like email address or phone number. Um, and then you get that reward. And they're more likely to use that reward now because the reward and the messaging that occurs, it'll be personalized to them because they already said what they are interested in or why they're interested in it. You can uh, update that in real time and the reward can be like, hey, here's 15% off for that specific product or because you responded with X. Um, and that makes it really more like engageable for the consumer. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Do you guys have stats about um, like how often a customer actually responds? Is it more often than not that they decide to answer the question and give their information? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I would, so our engagement rate is about 31% from like when we throw up our experience onto a brand's website. Um, that's pretty high for like, um, an engagement response, uh, uh, scenario that we play out. Um, typical situations only give you about five to 10% responses. So, um, what's really valuable about us is like, we're not only giving you customer info about like whether it's email or phone number, but also very specific information about them. Um, like why they're interested. So you can actually build a profile around each customer that comes to your brand. Yeah. Uh, that's been super powerful for us to see. And then do a lot of brands end up using that to supercharge their email marketing follow-up with the brand or are there other ways that they use that information once they get it? Yeah, so the email marketing is definitely, I would say the biggest use case from our technology because like now um, you, can, you can segment out consumers based on responses and based on the response, you can have different like messaging, right? Mm-hmm. So that's super valuable to see like higher conversion rates for, and for purchases um, once they do that email campaign after they gather data through our platform. But we've also seen like we integrate, we're pretty, um, we're API friendly. So like we allow brands to like either integrate directly into their Google ads or Facebook ads um, and then just automate that retargeting or just export it out to whatever marketing software they're using as a CSV and they can just import it into any like uh, marketing software they're using and then just like segment out consumers that way too. So, I mean, some certain brands have like started using like the Facebook ads and Google ads customization with the data they've gathered through our platform, which is great. Cause like, that's what we want to do is we want to empower them with the data. Um, and others have like focused just on the email uh, campaign aspect of it. Um, both are effective. Um, we're still like learning um, as we continue growing, but um, we think we can expand to more categories soon. Very cool. So what are some of the types of brands that are ideal candidates for this API solution? And of course, the listeners of my podcast are mostly jewelry brands and it's a range. Some are direct to consumer e-commerce only. Some are actually brick and mortar. Some have a presence in both. So tell me like which brands benefit most from this type of solution. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting. Uh, we, majority of our brands right now are D2C com brands because uh, a lot of them want that data and like, that's really helping them personalize their messaging and like marketing. And that's really like all their customers are online. Right. So, um, that's been our like foot in the door with the brands, um, going forward. I think, uh, our solution though, what it's becoming, I think it's going to become more and more valuable to the omnichannel brands that have both an online and physical touch point because the way we see it is like, um, we believe that uh, physical and e-commerce are just two sides of the same coin. When a lot of companies out there are trying to build different solutions for each ecosystem, and, like keeping them separate, we really focus on like combining them together. So the way we're looking at it is like, hey, like as a consumer buys, it doesn't matter if they're buying online or at your store, the experience should be the same. And, and vice versa, if like, hey, if they buy online, then they should be able to like either like pick it up at the store that's nearest to them because like you already have the store, the product's probably closer there than it is your warehouse, or it could just be shipped from the store itself, like right then and there when it can survive. So like the experience should be like very, very fluid that way. Um, the consumers get their products quicker. Um, they are now aware actually that, hey, you uh, that brand has a store near us. So they're more likely to actually go and visit that store in real time, which um, we've seen to have higher uh, cart purchase rates as well. So um, I think those are the brands that are going to see the most value of our platform because like we really integrate with both touch, uh, both physical and digital, 
And as we continue building out our retail partners, we have access to more and more inventory. And as we onboard more brands, we're like, hey, we're already working with that retailer that you have distribution through. Um, the consumers can have a much better experience if you work with us. Mm-hmm. For a jewelry brand that maybe has a direct-to-consumer e-commerce presence, but is also carried in some brick-and-mortar stores that are not their own, like they're a retail partner, does that end retail partner know anything about how the purchase got made, or are they just like roped in somehow after the fact? Yeah, so uh, that's a good question. So um, yeah, they definitely do know. Um, So what's really unique is like, as the brand, they probably, they probably know where all their product, like they probably know like what stores or where they're distributed to. They probably don't know the quantity and they don't have control of the marketing and stuff, which is why we come in hand, but they probably know where it is. So what we would do is like for the jewelry brands and like we do have a, a couple of jewelry brands that we're onboarding now um, that are more D2C account focused with some retail distribution. Um, just the way you're mentioning, a lot of them don't have their own physical stores yet, but they have distribution through like smaller retail chains. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's valuable there is uh, the end retailer would know because um, they're the ones that would be like fulfilling that purchase or the consumer would uh, end up coming to their store to pick up the product if that's how they want to do it. Um, whether it's getting shipped from there or they pick it up, it doesn't really matter. Um, but the benefit there is uh, the retail earnings, for example, now they get foot traffic. So they now have somebody that comes into their door. Um, or if a consumer just wants it fulfilled from that location, they have an opportunity to upsell that consumer. Like, hey, it's coming from like this retail store. Do you want to add any of these other products there? So it's really beneficial for the retailer as well. And they would make money on the shipping as well. So mm-hmm. it's like kind of like helping these retailers like come back from what's happening with COVID-19, like helping them open up another channel. The brand's happy because uh, they actually make margin on the product for the first time rather than just like selling wholesale. Um, and the retailers are okay with that because they make the shipping uh, capital or the extra purchases. Uh, and then the brand on the back end would just like get whatever product a consumer buys and that uh, retailer fulfills, they'll just go and resupply that retailer like later that week or that month. Um, so the retailers don't really lose anything. They just like keep having endless supply of inventory there. Yeah. That sounds great. Also, as you're talking, I'm imagining that this could be a really good solution for um, jewelry brands that traditionally were B2B. So like a lot of bridal jewelry retailers, they would have a website with like their styles listed, but no way for a customer to directly purchase. Instead, it would be like, go to one of our retail partners to like have this... um, Mm -hmm. Uh, engagement ring or whatever configured to your preferences Mm -hmm. but a lot of these brands especially during covid are realizing that they kind of do need another channel to reach customers directly so Mm -hmm. i feel like this api could be like a little bit of a stopgap for them while they're transitioning to be more direct to consumer because they can start gathering that customer information Mm -hmm. even as they're sending people to their retail partners yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think that's, and I think you hit the nail on the head where it's like, what we really realize is like consumers buy brands at the end of the day. They don't really buy retail. Yeah. Um, people are, people gravitate towards a brand's presence because they like believe in it. It might have some sustainable nature to it that makes people feel better. I'm wondering me, there's an innate desire for a consumer to like a brand. Um, and retail is a great outlet because like there's so many different brands there that you can go look at. There's so many different brands there that you can buy at one time. And that's kind of like really where we see ourselves. That's why we're really brand focused. Um, we work with these brands um, to really empower them. So I, could, I still have a control over their customers because they know they get the most data from the customers or the customers ship buy through their like online presence or like their platform, which is exactly what we want to enable. And as a consumer, you're not going to like a retailer's website to buy the retailer's product. You're probably going to the retailer's website to buy the brand's product. And that's really how it goes. So we really see retailers becoming more of like an experience center slash like distribution, like distribution center for these brands. And that's kind of how we're building our like network. We started off like focusing on D2C e-com brands because we get our foot in the door, help them gather data and like be part of their consumer journey. As we continue scaling and working with larger brands, now we can be like, Hey, you can buy online and get, pick it up from the retailer that has the brand's product near you or get shipped from that retailer right then and there because uh, both sides win. And I think that's really the future of commerce as we continue like seeing the transition that's happening after a post COVID and all that. I think um, retailers and e-commerce both have taken it like different types of hit. E-commerce is like definitely boomed, but like there's still a lot missing there. Same retailers, they were just like a dying space up until now where now they're like innovating very quickly and mm-hmm. we want to help them innovate to like the next um, scenario of what retail would look like. 
Yeah, those are all really interesting points. So talking a little bit more about experience, how would you describe an ideal omni-channel brand experience and how does your solution support that? I mean, you talked a little bit about that, but I want to hear about your like ideal vision of omni-channel. Yeah, so um, that's a good question. So I mean, like if, in a perfect world, like if everything like just worked, right? Like there's like, just worked, everything was there. Um, you would definitely have to start like ground level and like re like build the entire infrastructure over again, I think, or like in some capacity. Um, but I think the way it would work for a true omnichannel experience is as I'm a consumer, um, people know they, most people are now buying through their mobile device. 60% of all product searches start on your mobile phone, which is, which is a fact. Everyone knows. Um, but when I'm buying, I go to a brand's website. It's probably what I'll do. When I'm on the brand's website, I want to know like right then and there, um, one, why I should buy that product. Like, just like they would have like some type of messaging geared towards me. Like they would know something about me. So, they, so they'd be messaging like, they'd be like, hey, Snay, I see that you're interested in um, shoes right now. These are, and I'm, I'm, I play tennis. So like they're interested, okay, these are really good tennis shoes. Then the brand would be like, hey, um, buy right now, get it, to, get it to yourself in an hour. And, Cause like it's actually available five blocks away. Or be like, hey, just go pick it up five blocks away. We buy it right now on your phone and it'll be ready for you right when you walk in. Like that's an awesome experience for me. It's like, oh cool. Like I can interact with the digital touch point of a brand and pick it up, pick up the product at the closest location where the product is, whether it's the brand's own store or just another retailer, which they uh, sell through. And like, I think that's a really cool experience. Cause like, I think from like the industry standpoint, if that's how it worked, then brands wouldn't have as many costs from like a shipment standpoint. Cause like as a brand, like an up, like upcoming brand, they probably have like, let's say a 10 warehouses across the country. And that's pretty expensive for like a brand of certain size, but they're probably in like a thousand stores across the U S so like, I'm sure there's a store that's closer to the individual that has that product than the warehouse is. And like, what's really cool is like, instead of waiting seven days for a product, I can get it in a couple hours, which is really amazing. Cause like, and then both the retailer wins and the brand wins, um, either way I buy. And there's also vice versa. If I go to a store and buy a product there, I can like look at the product, test the product, whatever. I can pick it, buy it right there if I want to, or I can just be in the store, like quickly scan the product and I just purchase it on my phone with like uh, Apple pay or Google pay, for example. And then like product gets delivered to me from that store. And it's just like waiting at my doorstep when I get back or like, if I have to go like, let's say dinner afterwards, it'll automatically shift to my place like tomorrow. So I think that'd be a really cool experience. Like everything just like works naturally. And like me as a consumer, I don't have to worry about like shipments or like um, how I'm going to buy all of that. It's just like, I just know exactly where it's going to come from. And it's going to be the easiest place for me to get it. And like convenience is like king, I think, right? People buy like certain things for convenience. Like that's why like groceries have become now a thing where people order on their off their phone and like just get delivery because it's so convenient. So I think that's really big for uh, the future of commerce, like the space. I think like being able to like get it wherever you are. It sounds so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. And like the way we want to like be part of that, like ecosystem kind of is we really, we really want to like create that uh, connection between the brands and retailers. Cause like there's no need to go and build out retailers infrastructure. It already exists. These retailers are already buying from all these brands. Brands have such a good understanding of their online presence, like how to engage a consumer and uh, make that purchase happen. Um, what we really want to do is connect these two ecosystems for the first time. Like up until now, like there was always this like friction between the brands and retailers. And we really want to get rid of that. We want to make it like a very cohesive and like partnership uh, relationship where like, Hey, if I win, you win too. Uh, versus like, if you win, I win as well. So like no matter which one is like consumers buying from both sides win. And I think that's probably the future of like how retail will look like. Um, because if you think about it, like at the end of the day, like a warehouse is just a location where people have products, right? Like brands have products. So the retail is the same thing. It's just like, a, it's just a storefront with a where, like a warehouse, like people have products there. It's just like people can like go see it. No one wants to go to a warehouse, to like look at products. They'll just go to like a retail store. So it's the exact same concept. We're just trying to enable that uh, omni-channel experience to be better. Yeah. You made me think of a challenge that I hear a lot from my direct-to-consumer e-commerce clients. Mm -hmm. That So in the jewelry industry, traditionally, I think the goal for these like up-and-coming independent brands was to get in a jewelry store. Like mm -hmm. not only was it really prestigious, but it was a way to reach customers that they didn't have the resources to do. But nowadays, a lot of these retail partners are very hesitant to bring on new brands because right. there's a lot of risk involved, um, especially in the fine jewelry space. It's a big investment. They don't want to like buy the product outright. 
so a lot of these retailers will do a consignment model. Well, they'll bring the brand into the store, but they're not buying the inventory. So right. the brand gets paid when the when a purchase is made, right? Yep. And it's just like this whole relationship built almost on distrust and there's no like respect or trust there on either side it's just built on fear um like a lot of these brands feel confused about how to move forward to get into a retail store like it's just a very mysterious process it's Mm -hmm. bad so all the stuff that you're saying and if this could actually really happen like, I think that these relationships can really be like renewed and ha- just everyone can have a totally different mindset yeah. approach to like how this partnership can work. Mm-hmm. No, I 100% agree with that. I mean, I think, and I think that's really like where it's going to end up being. And like, I mean, we're, and that's definitely what we're building or right? we're pushing for that. Um, but I think with everything that's happened, like, I don't see it going to any other situation because like, I don't think that whole like, like retail and brand experience to be the same as it was. Cause like it just didn't work. And like, I think like it didn't, it wasn't working for a while. All this did with like the lockdown and everything, it just sped up what people were trying to learn and understand about the market. And now people know, Hey, that model does not work. So they have to think of a new model. And I think you're right. Like the jewelry brand is very interesting. And like a lot of brand uh, retailers probably do, do not consignment basics. They want to see how the product does because they're like, instead of buying all of these pieces up front, like I want to see if it actually is going to make my money. Um, Versus like if they were all in like more of a trust model, like, hey, no, that's cool. Like I'll buy a wholesale. Or like, you know what? Like I won't even buy wholesale. You can put it to my store. I'll do the fulfillment and everything and I'll take that margin. And if anyone buys, you take that margin. And um, it just becomes like little distribution, like becomes like mini distribution sites. And like the brands still win because they get brand awareness, which is why I think every brand at a certain point wants retail presence. Yep. Because the brand awareness is such a big piece. Like you, there's no, like every D2C brand that you've seen at some point, if they get big enough, they open up their own stores or get retail distribution. They have to. Like, there's you just there's a limit to how much you can grow just online without like being like whether being pop up stores or having some physical experience or physical uh, touch point for consumers to see your product. And um, we really see like that like becoming a uh, basically like the future. Like every DTC brand is going to start off that way. I think um, they're just going to like have like these small little like sections at different retail stores and stuff that will like be both their brand awareness piece, like, oh, consumers can come to the specialty store and like see my product, but also like where they fulfill from. Cause like that place they fulfill from is much closer than the warehouses. They probably store all their products from. So yeah, I think that's going to come sooner than we think. It's probably take a few more, it's been taking for years for sure. But I think the trend and what we've seen, the patterns of all these companies is going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about personalization. So your, um, API solution, it kind of enables personalization because it gives brands the data that they need to personalize their communications. So I want to know why is personalization so important? And yeah, and how does your solution again support that? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think everyone at this point knows like personalizing to the customer is like basically like a necessity more than a want. Um, people are like bombarded by brands. There's so many brands out there. Um, like for any given product, like you can name one product, it's probably like at least 10 new brands coming up doing something in that space. So I think what's really interesting is like people want to buy from brands that they trust, have an affinity towards or believe in. And I think personalizing the messaging to what a consumer wants at that moment helps consumers feel that way. And then they'll make that purchase. Um, what's really interesting is um, we've seen studies and read like research papers by like uh, professors in the space that do like price personalization and personalization of content and like product for a consumer. And it, what's really cool is like every consumer wants to be talked to it like as if they're the only customer that the brand has. Like, mm-hmm. they, like they can be like a massive brand, it can be a billion dollar brand, but they want to be like, I'm the only customer you should care about. Everyone else, like we don't care about. And like that's what's really important. Like that's what people like like. People like being like knowing that they're the only person that's there. So I think like personalizing messaging, content, products, all that to like every consumer is so important because it makes them feel wanted. And consumers, I think brand, everyone's starting to realize consumers have the power, especially with like the new, new generation of like millennials and Gen Z. Like they have so much buying power that's increasing on a yearly basis, but they also um, are not afraid to switch brands quickly. Like you would see like the older generation baby boomers, they would stick to a specific brand that they bought like throughout most of their life. Everyone these days, they don't care. They're like, as soon as a brand like 
pisses them off or like gets on the wrong side, they're gone. They're like, all right, we're going to hop to the next brand. Cause there's another brand that probably does the exact same thing. So it's so important to like be there at every step of the way on a consumer journey and make sure every single touch point, whether it's email ads, um, having a conversation with like a sales rep, retail rep, whatever it may be, it's very, very curated to each person. And I think people know that they need that now. There's a lot of pressure on brands today, especially this year, like during the crazy times that we're having and brands having to really say the right thing and not really having to, to face that before, but suddenly on so many issues, having to, you know, have the right message and then make sure they're personalizing it for the customers that they do want to reach. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. Like, I mean, I think there's so many brands that take drastic steps. I don't know if you saw, but like literally, I think it was yesterday or the day before uh, Patagonia and then a couple of their brands just announced that they won't be marketing on Facebook, for example. Yeah, I actually talk about that in the intro to this podcast that I recorded. Uh, So good, (laughs) good timing. Like literally like they talk, uh, like just like, they're like, okay, our buyers are so focused on like sustainability, like doing right by the world, doing right by people they're like, all right, like we, we have to stand behind what we support in our customers. So we're going to move away from a platform that our customers don't want to be part of. Yeah. So they shifted over and, um, their core customers, I'm sure they're going to lose some customers. Like I'm sure, I mean, they're just big enough to do that, but I'm sure their, their core group of customers probably are going to be much more loyal to them now. Like I could see people that could think like, Hey, Facebook's doing certain things wrong. They'd be like, I'm going to go buy a Patagonia jacket or shirt now because they actually stood for what they said. And like, they could honestly probably see an increase in our revenue because of this. So I think, I agree with you. I think there's so much pressure on brands to make the right decision. Um, and I, it's a very difficult problem to solve. And I think that's just hard from like, when you, whoever's running the brand, it's like, you have to make those choices. Um, but uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's for the best because people now want to support brands that they believe in and that believe in the same things they do. So I think brand, I think brands that don't take any stand are worse off than taking one or the other. So I think brands have to make a choice. And I think that's probably what people want to see. Yeah, so true. So I know that you're kind of like an evangelist for next generation e-commerce or next gen e-commerce. What the heck does that term mean to you, at least? I know probably people listening are like, what? That sounds really buzzwordy. So let's demystify it for everyone. Yeah, so I mean, it's funny. I actually have a, a talk at a conference coming up in like a week or so. Uh, yeah, awesome. Gen D to C or next gen e-commerce. Um, and honestly, like to tell you the truth, I think it means something different to every single person. Like every, if you talk to an expert, like every person will tell you it means something different. I think to me though, what it means is like the next step for um, purchasing or next step for commerce and how it's done. And I think like what that means is like one, every customer is truly felt like they are spoken to on an individual basis, whether that's AI, like somebody, like they have people talking to them, whatever it may be, like that personalization piece is there. But also the, in the commerce overall, in terms of like how DDC or even e-commerce or just like general commerce is done, I think it's that seamless experience like I was talking about before, where it's like, as a consumer, it doesn't matter where you buy from, the product comes to you in the most efficient manner, customized manner to you in the moment. And I think that's super valuable. And I think like if that ecosystem can play out that way and it will play out that way down the line, cause like that's, I think the only way the trend has to go, um, people will have better experiences. Brands will start seeing higher increases of revenue because people can like, they, they can be notified by, Hey, our product's actually available three bucks away. Go check it out. So people are actually like willing to go check out a product. Um, so like they probably get higher purchases that way. And retailers will win too, because now they're actually making, um, uh, revenue or capital on like distribution aspect of things, but also housing these brands in their stores, which I think is really cool. Um, so I think like, that's what I think is next generation. I think I see it going away. And if I had to put on like a, a few words, I'd be, I'd see it away. Like right now, e-commerce and retail are kind of like at opposite ends. They're like trying to like siphon off capital from each other and be like, Hey, we want to like have more revenue or we want to have more revenue or like we're bigger or whatever. But then there's also this core piece of like consumers, like what they want. And I think the journey for buying or commerce should always begin with the consumer. Cause like, that's like, it doesn't matter. Like what every, any other situation has if the consumer is unhappy or having the best experience. So I think to looking at from like starting at the consumer standpoint, and we're not even a consumer play. Like we work with our end users, our consumers. And, and that's why we're looking at a potential consumer play. But like, we realize that consumers are the start of our journey. So what we believe is like, if both sides can actually benefit from a purchase that occurs, then I think everyone will be more inclined to partner, offer up better services, 
And in a day, who's going to benefit the most? The consumer will. And I think that's how it should be. Yeah, really great points. It kind of made me think, I don't, maybe this is like a negative analogy, but like two parents or a married couple that are like fighting a lot, like retail and e-commerce. And then the kid is like, mommy and daddy, like don't fight. This is the consumer. And like, they're forgetting that like at the end of the day, like they need to think about how Mm -hmm. the consumer feels, you know? Yeah, no, I, that's a good analogy, actually. Uh, it was like, it's like everything at that point is like for the kid, right? Like to help like them like be the best that they can be. So I, I agree with you. Like, I think like at the end of the day, as long as the consumer is benefiting, um, people will be spending more, people will be buying more. Um, I think there is some friction in the marketplace now, but I think you're starting to see a lot of it go away because of like um, everything that's been happening, everything's moving so quickly now. Uh, people are more open to newer ideas, like trying out different models um, for like their business models and revenue. So I think um, at the end of the day, I think it's going to benefit consumers the most. And um, at the end of the day, that's what runs all these things. There wouldn't be brands or retailers if there weren't consumers. So I think that's really good to see. So what are some tips that you can offer, um, especially e-commerce retailers? I think probably more of my listeners are in e-commerce. What are some tips that you can offer those brands that do just want to have greater control over the experience that they're offering? I posted something on my Instagram today, a quote from Jeff Bezos that said something like, you need to think about your e-commerce experience as a party that you're hosting. And if you're not like throwing the best party ever, then you're really failing your customers or the guests who are like coming to your party. And I just love that quote. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good quote. I like that. Like you have the best party. Otherwise people can go to another party. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think like, I agree. I think e-commerce should be like a fun experience. Like and it, it was built to make life easier, right? So like, why can't it be fun? Like why can't it be like engaging um, and like fruitful for me? Um, so if it's like, if it takes me a lot of steps or if it like, if your like website's not clean and it's just like, uh, it doesn't like make it easy for me to like visualize your products, like look at it, see where I can buy it, all that kind of stuff. Then it's probably not a good experience. Probably not a good party. Like you mentioned, and I probably want to leave. Um, and like consumer, they, they, like I said, like they make decisions so quickly now, like if they can spend like less than a second looking at your site homepage, if they don't like yeah. it, like, that's how it is. Like that's legitimately more of the, most of the drop off occurs right then and there in the first like one or two seconds when a consumer comes to your site, that's the highest drop off point. Um, so yeah, a couple of things I think uh, jewelry brands or just like e-commerce retailers that could do to like get more engageful is like um, offer like uh, different ways for consumers to engage with your uh, website or wage your products. Maybe like, uh, I know there's like, a couple different things like people have been doing. Like, I mean, our experience is one, like you have like an insight question. So people are like gamified, they're already engaged with your thing, but there's other things you can do. You can make um, the homepage like a layout a specific way where like based on where a consumer comes from or if a consumer is a uh, returning consumer or first time buyer, it looks different. You can personalize that like web flow. So like, that's really unique. Um, you can make it very, very visually appealing. Like in every brand, like has an, like they might not know, but they have a segment of customers that they think were ideal fits. So make it for those guys. Like I, I agree with Jeff Bezos quote, that you have to make the best party that's possible. But like, I also think you have to make it the best party that's possible for a certain like demographic or certain group of customers. Yeah. Cause not yeah. everyone is going to enjoy that party. No one enjoys, not everyone enjoys every party. It's only a certain group of people that do. And like, you have to figure out who that group of people is that you want to make this party for or make this um, experience for and focus on them. What did they like? What, are, what kind of experiences do they like? How do they like buying and all that? And then focusing on that. So true. Really good tips. Um, can brands with small budgets still do this? do you think like really yeah. up and coming brands? Yeah, no. So, I mean, honestly, I think uh, brands with small budgets have the most opportunity, I think, because since they're so young, they're willing to test out a lot of things. And like, um, since they are so small and like just starting out, they, like a couple changes that they do like really quickly iterations won't really mess up um, their consumer flow or like won't really mess up their revenue. Larger brands have much more difficulty because they have to really think through every single piece because like if they do one small change, it can mess up like a huge portion of their like revenue because consumers will like stop liking the experience or whatever it may be or like they won't buy. So as a small brand, I think you have more leverage to test new things and from like the different softwares that are out there and different opportunities like what you can do. Um, honestly, every platform I think out there like if they don't already offer it on their website, they, not free trials. Like if you call them and say, Hey, you're an upcoming brand or start just starting out, they'll probably like give you a t- trial. Cause like every like tool out there eventually wants like brands to use your product. Um, and they have some way to like get you onboarded. So I would tell brands like, just go test out what, 
what you think works best for you, um, what works best for your consumers. Um, and then just like start like adding different pieces together, like start learning from your consumers. Um, I think I, I, as long as these tools are exist and stuff like that, I think it's super easy for them, but I think nothing can be compensated for like talking to your actual customers. Um, as a small brand, if you're a small brand, I would say talk to like your first hundred customers, like very frequently, like, like, cause I think nothing can compensate that. Like you can gather all the data in the world and like talking to your like loyal customers will be much better. That's really encouraging. I think I do talk to a lot of brands that just feel frustrated. Like they don't know how to move forward. They don't know how to compete with big brands like Tiffany that invest mm-hmm. gosh knows how much into their e-commerce experience, but it's cool to know that, you know, these smaller brands, they have the like space to experiment a little bit more. Yeah. And what's really cool about these small brands, like as you started seeing like these like younger demographics and buyers, like these large companies are great. And like, they're obviously gonna have like the lion's share of the market, but there's so many niche and like gaps that are missing that these small uh, brands can come in and like just take over and like become the brand that focuses on that small sector. I think focusing on a specific aspect of what your brand is doing is very key. Um, especially if you're a jewelry brand, like focusing on what you're good at and building like um, building content around that is probably the best. Like getting loyal followers, getting people to post about it. Um, there's so many tools like Instagram, Pinterest, Etsy, all these different channels now where you can like create, have content available, like stop building a brand presence. And um, I think that is like learning from your cu- customers every single time they come to our, your, like come engage with you in any, any way is super important. Like understand why they like your brand and like uh, what pro- features your product they like and just like keep focusing on that. Yeah. It's a very like duh thing to say, well, ask your customers because they're the ones they're throwing the party for. But for a lot of people, they're like, oh yeah, like I never thought of that because they're, and it's not bad. It's just, they're so in their heads, like building their business that they forget to actually look outward and talk to the people they're trying to serve. Right. No, I I 100% agree. Like there's a couple things like MPS score, like net promoter score is like a pretty like a uh, good tool that a lot of like brands use to like see how their brand is working against like their competitors. Um, and you can track that like, Hey, how likely someone to recommend your brand to someone else. Um, and that's a pretty good uh, metric to see like, okay, somebody like really likes it or someone like really doesn't like it or like, they're just like, okay, or on the fence. But um, most brands, if, if like, if you have like a consumer that bought your product, like they obviously bought it for a reason. Like whether if it was the first time around, maybe they were testing it, but if they bought it, like you have, they're pretty, they're already sure they're going to like, if you email them like a personalized message or something, just reach out, like ask them to like give me feedback or on a call. Like I'm sure they'll probably do that because they've already, they already bought your product. Um, but a lot of people don't email, open up emails, like give me the star rating. Like I hate that. Like I hate like just putting a star rating in an email. Like when, when they ask for feedback, like I just, I just don't like that. But like, if you, if like somebody from the company actually reached out to a customer that bought your product, like, Hey, I'll, I'll tell you about our product. We're like iterating around. I would love your feedback. I'm sure somebody would like be, at least portion of your customer be open to like chatting with you about it. Cause like, they obviously like your brand so yeah like they're happy to talk with you great tip Mm -hmm. so obviously covid is still on the minds of a lot of entrepreneurs even though in some parts of the country it seems like not as much of a big deal anymore i think there's definitely fallout that people are experiencing how do you Mm -hmm. think that covid19 has impacted e-commerce um and specifically for direct-to-consumer brands like what have you seen out there yeah, I mean, I think it's been really good for e-commerce and direct consumer brands. I think they've like started, they've seen like the highest like, rise in like, I guess, revenue and like consumers buying that way um, in a while. Um, and even brands that weren't like primarily focused on online uh, purchasing or e-commerce have shifted that way. So um, I think that the shift has been really cool to see. Um, I think it also showed like a lot of like different holes in like that space. Cause like, I mean, there was the whole thing with like um, ads like being priced, overpriced or like ads being very cheap because certain brands just weren't marketing anymore, sort of things like that. So I think it does add a lot of complexity. And I think there's, there's a point where like there's saturation in the market too, right? There's like so many brands online. They're all like trying to get you to spend money on their brand. Um, it's very interesting. Um, but I think w- what has done more is like open up all these e-commerce brands, like, okay, cool. This is like our primary channel of buying. But then also looking into like their retail infrastructure they already might have or the distribution. Like, what do we do with this? Like, how do we think about this next going forward? So I think it's been really interesting to see that. Um, overall, for a new to e-com brand, I think it's been great though. I think people are, are getting, I think more people are used to buying stuff online now than they were. I think more people have bought groceries online in the last like three or four months than they did like over the past year. Because like, yes. and I think more people are gonna like continue that trend, which is also interesting to see. It's like some people might just not go back to like a grocery store. They might just like order online, just like wait for it to get picked up or like buy online, pick up a store and just pick it up curbside. Um, 
But then you also have the other segment of that, which I've also talked with people with. And they're like, there's just certain, like, they're like, they're so sick of staying inside. They're going to like buy everything they can in person. Or they're going to like buy certain things in person. Like there's like certain things I just wouldn't buy online. Like I'm not going to buy like, some of the people I spoke with, they're like, I'm not going to buy ketchup online. I'm just going to buy it when I run out, go to the, like the store, like across the block and just pick it up. Or like go to like the closest grocery store and buy that product. Same thing with like, like for example, like oh, we were talking to a brand like that makes candy bars and stuff like that, like chocolate bars. It's like, you're not going to order chocolate bars online. It's just like not a thing. It's like an, it's like an uh, end item. That's like an end of an aisle or like at a gas station or convenience store that you just buy in the moment. Cause it's like, it's an impulse buy. Right. So things like that, like people will always continue buying in real life just because like it just doesn't make sense buying them online. Yeah, it's really good. Really good points. I'm a huge fan of all the TJX brands like TJ Maxx and HomeGoods and all that. Yeah. And when HomeGoods opened here like the first day in LA, I went and right. it felt like the first nice day of the year in New York, like after the winter, like everyone is like, looking around like so happy like it was a cool energy and it made me just realize like why people go to stores and why like brick and mortar can't die because like this energy that was there like everyone's so happy to just be like looking at stuff and like getting excited about the potential thing they're gonna like find and buy and bring home you know Uh, no 100 and it's so funny you mentioned like tjx like they're actually one of like the only like growing retailers out there like i yeah. a podcast like a few like about a few months ago their earning report actually increased so like their price of like company evaluation they're actually doing better than they ever were doing it could also be because they're like a discount retailer but what's really cool is like their whole model seems to be working like people really like their like group of brands and um they're doing really well and it's, it's just interesting like to see like them like killing it and when everyone else is like not doing as well yeah even i went for a walk the other day and there's a marshall's kind of near me and Mm -hmm. at like four o'clock on like a friday afternoon there was a humongous line of people waiting to get into marshall's and i'm like i I, that makes sense for me for like a grocery store maybe because it's like very essential and people will will wait in line for that but like what do you got to get at Marshall's that like you're going to wait in a huge line for? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd wait in a line for Marshall's. But I'm sure, I mean, I mean, I guess there are. I mean, I would just, if, I mean, if, if the world worked in my, like my perfect scenario, I could just buy the line and it would just get delivered to Marshall's. So it wouldn't matter. Yeah. But yeah, the TJX brands, they really impress me and they make me very hopeful like for the future of brick and mortar, to be honest. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like, I mean, the way we look at it is like brick and mortar will never go away. It's just going to change. Like, I mean, that, and that's inevitable. Like there's, it, we just can't, it won't be able to go away. Like there's just certain things like you just need to have physical presence for. So I think it'll just like, it'll change more of an experience like such distribution hub. So I think that's what we're going to see going down the line. Yeah. So what are some, so we're talking about brick and mortar brands that are inspiring us. What are some direct to consumer e-commerce brands that are really inspiring you right now? Yeah, that's a, so I, yeah, there's, I mean, I love D2C com brands and like, I, like, I, uh, I've actually been thinking about like doing a blog where I just like talk about certain ones that I really like. Um, so, uh, a few that I really respect on, like, there's like one called Lasso, uh, which is like a compression socks, uh, and they're a really cool brand because they're built for, um, the weekend warrior type of vibe. So it's like for, a lot of pro athletes use them, but also like regular people can use them and they actually feel great. Um, you actually feel more athletic and, uh, you know, you feel like you have more control over your movement, especially with your uh, ankles. So that's, it's been a, it's a, they're, they're a great brand. Um, they do really good job marketing and I know them. So I personally love them. Um, another brand I would say is, uh, house like H A U S they're, uh, a company that's like a D to C, um, alcohol beverage company. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I've heard of them. Cool. And they are like absolutely crushing it. Um, they're a great brand. I mean, we love, uh, I love what they do. I think, um, they were, I think one of the first that started doing that, like at home deliveries, um, for, uh, wines and beverages like that. Um, but they're really cool. They, they do really good job marketing. Um, they have, uh, they have a great online presence, so they're really cool. And then, um, the last one that I really like too is, uh, they do DTC as well, but they're, they're a lot more, proliferated in like retail stores um so they might not be like I, they might not be considered like just d2c but it's called recess they're like a hemp infused uh sparkling yeah. water mm-hmm. so i personally hate sparkling water like i do i just like don't like carbonated stuff like, i'm not even, a like, lacrosse fanatic no 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 i don't even like soda like i don't like i grew up in atlanta where, like coke is headquartered and, like i'm just not a fan like i just don't <laughs> like soda in general um and i i guess i just i guess it's my taste buds but like for some reason like i really like recess like it's a, kind of like a mellow like sparkling water 
And that's really cool to me. Like, and I, I like, I just tried it cause I was like, you know, like their, like their packaging looks really cool. I like, like the cans. So I was, you know, I'll give it a shot. Like if I don't like it, it's just one can, but it was actually pretty good. So, I mean, I liked it. So yeah, I would say those three brands are like probably the top brands that I like right now. Really um, good examples. And the thing that I would say the three of them share in common is they all have really good branding. Like they've really <laughs> thought through their look, tone and feel and like the story that they're telling their customers. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think it's super important to like one have a story that people can relate to, um, that people can behind to, and then like just being there, like like having presence. And I think like that they all do a really good job of storytelling. And I think that's like honestly, I think that's why people buy. It's like storytelling. Like, uh, there's only so there's only like to a certain level where a product is so good that like no one else can do it. Most products people can like obviously just rebuild. Like you just like have different branding and just make the same product. Like you can't. There's no such thing as like the best product out there. Like people can make comparable products to that, but it's like, how can a consumer relate to that brand? That's what's really valuable. And I think they all three of them do a really good job about that. Totally. So we're wrapping up here. What does the future hold for uh, Lucky Labs? And what makes you the most excited about e-commerce for the future moving forward? Yeah, so I mean, for the future for us is continue growing. Uh, we have about 25 brands on our platform right now. We have like 100 more in our pipeline. Uh, we're scaling that up every single day. We're uh, hiring uh, a couple of engineers right now. So uh, growing the team, also uh, closing out our fundraising round. So uh, we just finished an accelerator up here in New York um, called Quick Capital, which is phenomenal. Uh, and now we're like finalizing around, scaling, and uh, continue building our product. Honestly, like we have started with this digital touch point for DTC comp brands and uh, certain omni-channel brands um, that have certain retail distribution. But we really start wanting to partner with like major retailers to get access to their networks and then building that uh, dual ecosystem that we're thinking of, like being able to like empower brands to sell through their channels but getting it delivered or processed or um the consumer experience from wherever the product is closest and if that's a retailer then it's a retailer if it's a brand store then it's a brand store but it doesn't really matter the consumers win at the end of the day so uh continue building that out and then uh for e-commerce i mean for us just like to seeing where it goes there's so many cool innovations that happen in the e-commerce space like how we get smarter better every single day that's just fun to uh uh, look through and then uh, for us to just be a part of that uh, process and like hopefully push e-commerce to like the next generation of what it can be. That's very exciting. So yeah. if a brand is interested in learning more about your solution or trying it out, how can they go about doing that? Yeah. So I mean, if a brand is interested in like learning more about us, I mean, they can go to our website, luckylabs.io or just shoot me an email at SNEH, which is uh, S-N-E-H at luckylabs.io and uh, we'll get back to them. But uh, yeah. Cool. Thank you, Snape, for your time. It was really fun to talk to you. I got so many like inspiring ideas and thoughts about e-commerce just from this conversation. No, of course. Thank you so much, Alyssa, for having me. I mean, this is a great conversation and uh, hopefully we can add value. It was such a pleasure to be able to talk to Snape about Lucky Labs and about how his company is contributing to the future of e-commerce. Be sure to visit the Lucky Labs website, that's luckylabs.io, to learn more about him and his platform. I look forward to sharing more interviews with you. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about marketing services for your jewelry brand, visit joyjoya.com, where you can download our free ebook, Proven Conversion Strategies for E-Commerce Jewelry Retailers.